0: Well, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, say amen. And uh, Luke chapter 20 is where we are located today. Uh, Luke chapter 20, if you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through this gospel, and right now we're on the subject, the great coronation. Uh, The great coronation really is depicted in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to the earth, he died, was buried, and resurrected, and then the scripture says that he ascended into the heavens. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father, and there God the Father coronated Christ the Son, giving him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now the parable of the nobleman really is the parable which Jesus shares, that I believe kind of unlocks and opens the door for the rest of this gospel known as the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus describes to you and I how he has gone away to another country, namely heaven, and that he will return. Now, the key that you and I have to really take and place into the door is the reality that how we manage our God-given opportunity while Jesus is away is going to determine our responsibility when Jesus returns. So it's a phenomenal truth. That's why we were encouraged last week through Luke's Gospel to begin praying certain prayers. Many of you have been praying them this week, and I've received emails and uh, text messages of that, that you've been praying that God would break your heart with what breaks His. Our staff did the same thing last Tuesday. We all sat together in a room, and we started with the question, what is breaking the heart of God in the context of the ministry here? And it didn't take long for us to begin to jot some things down on the whiteboard and then begin to lead us into the second prayer, God, give us courage now to actually do something about it. And those are the two prayers. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. That gives birth to a ministry and mission in your life. And then you pray for God to give you courage to move forward, to accomplish that which he has called you to do. And in doing that, you and I are going to face great challenges just as the Lord Jesus did. So what we have to learn to do is to remain faithful to what God has called us to do as individuals. Jesus is the primary example on how to remain faithful. And we're going to see what Jesus did. And here's what's awesome. Here's what I want you to see. Whenever you pray, God break my heart for what breaks yours, God births in you a ministry and mission. And then God gives you courage to move forward, and then you face challenges. But listen, if you persevere, fruit is on the other side. Are y'all listening? Yeah. So that's the key, right? But the thing is, most people don't persevere, so they never see the fruit. So we're going to learn from Jesus this morning, Luke chapter 20, 26 verses. Y'all with me? Say yes. So I'm going to read them. You stand with me in out of God's word and. Remember, this is uh, breathed by the Holy Spirit. So listen to what the Lord desires to say to you today. Luke chapter 20, beginning verse 1. On one of the days while Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes of the elders confronted him. And they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, and who is the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you a question, and you tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. And at the harvest time he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he proceeded to send another slave and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. He proceeded to send a third and this one also was wounded and cast out. So the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on Jesus that very hour. They feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies and pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him saying, teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. So Jesus said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And, check this verse out, And to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in saying, In the presence of the people, And being amazed at his answer, They became silent. Let's bow together. Father, we do pray this morning That you would place your hand upon us As we study your word, Speak truth into our hearts, Transforming us, Making us more like your son Jesus. And Father, So thankful for those who are involved in mission, involved in the ministry of the kingdom of God. And I pray for those who perhaps are here this morning who just flat need to be encouraged. Use the word to encourage them. And God, ultimately we pray that we, as your followers, would remain faithful even in the midst of great challenges. That we would stay persistent, persevering, so that we might experience great fruit. Father, I pray for those who are present who do not know you. Draw them to yourself. We'll give you glory for it. In Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said amen. So you guys can be seated. Now, it is true, I think all of you will agree, that Jesus remained faithful to God the Father's call upon his life. God the Father sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come, to go to Jerusalem, to die for the sins of the world, be buried and resurrected. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says, set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, and he accomplished that divine call. God also has a divine call upon every single believer. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God did not save you simply so you could sit in church on Sunday. God redeemed you from hell. God radically transformed your life. He placed you into the body of believers, gifting you so that you might be able to express the gospel clearly to others so that you might employ your spiritual gift in the body of Christ so that you might also give to the kingdom's work. So God has called every single one of us to remain faithful to his divine task. Now, all of us are involved in the mission of making disciples everywhere, but in the context of that overall broad stroke, God has called every single individual to accomplish certain tasks in their life. So God's called you just as he's called me. This is not some calling just simply made out for pastors and other church leaders. It's for every single born-again follower of Jesus Christ. So you and I are called now to be faithful. And what we learn is that Jesus Christ was indeed faithful even when he faced great challenges. So this morning, I want to encourage you with three statements on how to remain faithful to what God has called you to accomplish in this life while Jesus is away. Sir, so are y'all ready for them say yes? Here they come. Point number one, don't let questions shake your confidence. Don't let questions shake your confidence. Remember Jesus, as already mentioned before, I'll just reiterate it. He came to Jerusalem to accomplish God's call upon his life, to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He was heartbroken over the lostness of the city of Jerusalem. We studied that last week, how he was so broken that he wept bitterly over their inability to fully notice him as the Messiah sent from God the Father. And then as he continued to move forward in God's call, God granted him great courage, and the Lord Jesus Christ shook up the temple by throwing over the money changer's table. Everyone's eyes were upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and as people listened to Jesus teach, many wanted to know who he thought he was. Many of them wanted to know how Jesus could just walk into the temple and begin to turn over tables and start teaching about the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to know by what authority he did these things. That's why Luke 20 and verse 2 says, where they are speaking to Jesus, tell us by what authority you're doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? Now that is a question directed at the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saying, who is it that gave you jurisdiction to do what you have done here? Now, this is not a group of people who are for Jesus. In fact, this is a group of people who do not have the best interests of Jesus at heart. These are individuals who want nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor do they want Jesus getting any recognition from other people. So, they begin to question Him. Now, quick side note here, as you are faithful to God's call upon your life to express the gospel, employ your spiritual gift, and out of generosity give to the kingdom, as you live in that particular context, you are going to always face questions from other people. Now not every single question that you get or every question that I get is actually motivated by the darkness. To give you an example, uh, Moses in the Old Testament was called by God to lead the people of Israel. He was doing a phenomenal job doing just that. He became the judge of Israel, but he was not very good at being a leader at the beginning. He was taking on way too much as the leader. In fact, the Bible says that all day long from morning until evening he sat as judge over the people. So the people would wake up in the morning, they would stand in line to bring their issues to Moses, and he would sit as judge and he would seek to try to arbitrate through all of those particular meetings. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came asking a question. Now, how many of you are big fans of your father-in-law asking you questions? Can I get a witness up in you? I didn't think so. But here he comes. Jethro actually has the best interest of Moses at heart. And he basically asked him, what are you doing, Moses? What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning till evening? Jethro was motivated not by the darkness, nor was he undermining Moses' call from God. He was actually helping Moses to administer God's call upon his life so that he could be more effective as a leader. And the reason that I throw this out to you this morning is because I don't want you to see every single question as motivated by the devil. The Lord uses people in our lives to help us clarify the administration of His call upon our lives. Now this happened to me, right? So I uh, traveled to Africa. Uh, on several occasions, and on one occasion I was there and God broke my heart deeply over the lack of training in the lives of so many pastors. They were village pastors, they had no uh, formal training, nowhere to be trained, they were uh, questioning all kinds of things about the Bible and wanted to learn but nobody was there to train them. So I went and led one training session and God just broke my heart that they needed more. And so I remember praying and then asking God to give me courage because I sensed that God wanted me to go and actually start a training school for this group of about 300 pastors. So I began to pray. God, give me courage to do that. Now I was pastoring a church when all of this was going on. And I realized very quickly that in order for me to accomplish that task and also a couple of other things which the Lord had placed upon my heart because my heart was broken over these things, I was going to have to step out of the pastorate for a time and actually go spend more time overseas to accomplish the task. And so I got confirmation from the Lord, understood that's what God was calling me to do. My heart was broken. He gave me courage. I started stepping out. And as soon as I got out of the boat, questions were being fired at me left and right. Are y'all listening, yeah? And some of the questions were legit. Some of the questions, I believe, were God-ordained questions. Some of the questions came from my father-in-law. Y'all out there, shall we pray and go home now? But some of the questions came and some of the questions were very clear. It was like, how are you going to support a family? That's a great question. Because I'm leaving a place where I am being paid to enter into a ministry where I would not be paid. So God used all of these questions to begin to formulate and help me administer the call which he had placed upon my life. And God, by his grace, provided for us the entire time. But what I want you to see is that so many questions that did come were actually God-ordained questions that helped me. Now, don't get me wrong, at the same time, there were some questions that were not coming from the Lord. And these questions were there to try to trip me up and keep me from doing what God had called me to do. And that's what we have in the life of Jesus. Jesus is following the call of God, and these questions are motivated by the darkness. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is not rattled. Jesus is not shaken. Jesus simply asked them a question in verse 4. He says, well, let me ask you, was the baptism of John from heaven or was it from men? Now these religious people could not answer immediately, so they got into a holy huddle. And they said, let's decide what we want to say to Jesus. So one of them said, well, we can't say that John the Baptist was from heaven, because if we say that, Jesus is going to be like, why didn't you listen? See, John the Baptist came as the forerunner of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist came preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sin, and then when Jesus showed up on the scene, John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, there he is, the Messiah, the Lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. And then John the Baptist began to say, may I decrease and may Jesus increase. And he began to point all attention to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, follow hard after him. Now, if they were to come back and say, Jesus, we think John's baptism was from heaven, then they would have looked and heard Jesus say to them, well, why aren't you paying attention? Here I am. So they decided, no, no, let's not say that. But wait a minute, guys. We, we also, and you've got to see them in their huddle, right? Well, here's another thing. We could say that it's, uh, it's from men, right, instead of from heaven. But if we do that, one of them pipes up, then they're all going to pick up rocks and stone us to death, man, because they think John was a prophet. So these religious elite did what a redneck would do. Y'all all right? Now, I live in Lular, so I'm a redneck. I can say that, all right? I've learned how to put an R on the end of it, all right? But they just came back and they said, oh, we don't know. You tell us. Here's what's awesome about Jesus. Jesus doesn't even answer them. Can I, can I give you a quick little statement here? When you are obedient to God's call in your life, and you are moving forward, and then all of a sudden you begin to get questions, some of them you don't even need to answer. Some of them you just let go in one ear and out the other. I love how Jesus does this. Jesus is not rattled. Jesus is absolutely confident. Why is he so confident? Because he knows, listen, he is doing exactly that which God the Father sent him to do. And when you are confident that you are doing exactly what God's called you to do, no question will hinder your progress. So how do you know if you're confident? Confident. How can you be confident you're following God? Well, here's how you will not be shaken in confidence. You will not be shaken when you know God has called you to accomplish a certain task. When you know God from heaven is speaking directly to you saying, do this or do that, that gives you confidence. We know that we can have confidence when God's word affirms the task that we are about to take. So listen, if you say, God wants me to do this, But the Bible says something completely opposite. That ain't God talking to you. Are y'all listening? So if you say, I believe God wants me to do this, and then God's Word affirms that, then you can have great confidence. And then as God's Holy Spirit, who resides within every believer, confirms the task in your life, with peace in your heart, you can move forward. When your conscience is clean and clear, and you know you're moving forward for the glory of God, all of this breeds great confidence in your life. Now, can I ask you, are you moving at all? What I have discovered is that some individuals are hot-hearted when they begin for the Lord. And then as they begin to walk out and accomplish and do what God's created them to do and saved them to do, they begin to face some opposition. And oftentimes these questions that come to them make them throw up their hands and they give up with discouragement. And then the sad reality is a lot of times they still come to church every single Sunday. But they become so discouraged that all they're doing now is sitting, totally missing out on what God's called them to do. Are y'all listening say yes? Let me give you the second point here. I don't allow, let me, can I share this with you? I was not going to, but I'm going to now because y'all seem like you're listening. Are y'all? At least four of you are. All right. So whenever I first began ministry, it was very difficult. There are still difficult days in ministry, uh, always difficult days. But when I first began, I was a student pastor, I was 19. So I just graduated high school, just started college, and then was brought on staff to be a part-time student pastor. And I remember I was going to have to start preaching every single Wednesday, and I remember after they called me and said, you've got the job, I was sitting in my dormitory and I sat down and hung the phone up and realized I ain't never preached before. Y'all listening? And like Wednesday was coming. So I was like, Lord, what have I got myself into? But anyway, so I began to preach. I would get up and do the best that I could and just walk through books of the Bible like I do here and share with people how they could come to know Jesus personally. And it was amazing. God began to redeem people, just like we say. So many students were coming to faith in Jesus Christ and they were being baptized in the church and it was awesome. Or so I thought. And then all of a sudden, some folks in the church began to question what was going on. Somebody's like, question? What do you mean? What are they, they questioning? People are getting saved. Why are they questioning? Well, because not all church people are Christ followers. And one of the major reasons that I began to get re, uh, uh, questions around what was happening is because not everybody who was being saved and baptized in the church was white. Y'all ain't out there. Um, which Jesus was not white. It's amazing how racist people are. But they weren't big fans of it. And I remember sitting in a room where I was being questioned about what I was doing on Wednesday nights. And, and they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I think I'm, I'm just teaching through Philippians right now. And they said, well, you're going to stop doing what you've been doing and here's what you're going to do now. And they gave me a book and I opened it up and the first lesson in the book was how to write an essay paper. So I looked at it, and it's literally how to write an essay paper. Intro, uh, body, conclusion. Said, so said, you want me Wednesday night to teach them how to write an essay paper? Yes, that's what we want you to do. And I'm thinking to myself, these people have lost their minds. This is not what God's called me to do. And then the statement was made, if you don't do this, you're not doing anything. So then I was like, well, I guess I'm not doing anything. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So then I, 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 I was removed. swiftly (laughs) and i remember getting uh phone calls uh one one pastor called me who was our pastor back home wanted to encourage me and then asked me you know hey man you're not you're not going to give up on the ministry now you're not going to not go into ministry now are you i'm thinking I, i was literally i'm like is that a is that an option i didn't realize it was an option you know what i'm saying? What the Lord did through that was teach me that as you are obedient to the Lord, you are always going to face difficulties. But listen, listen, as you persevere, fruit's on the other side. Y'all still with me, yeah? All right, so I know y'all are kind of like, what church was that? I'm not saying out loud, and it's none of your business. And the dude ain't alive anymore. He's really not. I mean, I didn't kill him or anything. I am just thought I'd throw that out there. It's not around. See, that's why I do notes, man. Because if I was just freelancing, there's no telling what would come out of my face. You know what I'm saying? All right, point number two, here we go. Don't allow opposition to slow your progress. Don't allow opposition to slow your progress. Jesus didn't slow down even though his authority was questioned. Instead, he told a parable to show them where his authority was coming from. Now the figure, and we've already read the parable, is the parable of the vineyard and the vine growers. And the parable of the vineyard wasn't unusual. The prophet Isaiah used the analogy in the Old Testament, listen, to describe the nation of Israel, just as Jesus is doing here. God the Father planted Israel and desired for Israel to be fruitful. God gave them promises of the kingdom, and yet they did not obey the promises or heed the voice of God in such a manner as to obey and bear fruit. So God began to send them slaves. Those slaves were the prophets of the Old Testament. They were sent by God the Father to speak to the people of Israel. And yet these slaves, just like in the Vineyard parable, were beaten and sent away empty-handed. Many of God's prophets in the Old Testament were mistreated, ignored, and disregarded. And then God the Father sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, just as in the parable. Now in the parable, Jesus describes what the people did with the son of the vineyard owner. They killed him in hopes that they themselves would possess the vineyard. Now Jesus says in verse 15, What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them after they have slain his son? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Now Jesus was saying that the people of Israel who were rejecting him would actually see the inheritance of the kingdom given to other people. Now somebody's like, well, what other people is the inheritance going to be given to? The other people are Gentiles. The other people are the New Testament church. Jesus will be rejected by Israel and be put to death. However, in their rejection, God, the owner of the inheritance, would give it to others who would believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as payment for their sin. So those who have been grafted into the promises of Israel's inheritance are those who are members of the New Testament church. So if you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you've admitted that you're a sinner, you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin was buried and resurrected, and you have confessed Him as Lord. Listen, if you've experienced that in your life, you've been grafted into the family of God, and God now is giving you the vineyard. It's an awesome truth here. Now, it's not in this text, but I will tell you just for free that God's not giving up on Israel. God has set Israel upon the shelf for a season, Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. But when Jesus Christ comes again, he will reestablish Israel. But right now, he is working upon the earth through the New Testament church. Now, after they're listening to this, and they, you know, these guys, by the way, they knew that this parable was about them. And they're like, there's no way this can happen. May it never be. And then verse 17, Jesus looked up and said, well, What then is this that is written? All right, he points back to a prophet of old. He's like, listen to what they're saying to you. He says, the stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building is a stone that every other stone is measured by. Jesus is the cornerstone. But the builders in Israel were about to take him and throw him to the side. And this action would seal their judgment. Jesus says in verse 18, Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls it will scatter him like dust. So Jesus gives the warning, listen, that those who reject him will be judged. That's still true today as well. If we do not heed the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and his messengers, we will one day be judged. Those who reject Jesus Christ now will one day see Jesus who is the cornerstone and Jesus himself will judge you based upon your deeds and you're not good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. Thereby, you will be judged based upon your sin and cast into hell. And that's what the scripture says. Jesus is warning them, listen, and I am warning you. Those of you who still say, I want nothing to do with Jesus, you are going to find that Jesus still has everything to do with you when you breathe your last breath of hard-hearted living. There's the cornerstone. So I encourage you now to repent and place your faith in Jesus while there's still time. Now, as you, all right, and I, Follow God's call upon our life to accomplish certain tasks, both large and small. We're going to find that there will always be opposition. Some people will think that if there's opposition, that means they just need to quit because it must not be of God. But there's not many leaders in the Old Testament or the New Testament that did not face opposition. So seeing opposition as God saying stop could be dreadfully wrong. See, in our Americanized mindset, we think that if we are doing the right thing, everything should be easy. That's the exact opposite. If you want to follow the Lord Jesus, there is a promise in Scripture that if you seek to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. If you follow Jesus, there will be trials. Jesus is like, you want to follow me? I'm going to put you out there like sheep amidst wolves. So this is not an easy pathway to go. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross and die daily. Follow me. So, this isn't anything easy. There is difficulty here in following the Lord Jesus. But sometimes, people, whenever they step out in courage and they face some opposition, they think, well, this must not be of God. Be very careful. Uh, The enemy always opposes obedient followers of Jesus. Hey, can I ask you a question? And this is this is uh, highlighted in my notes, right, right here, three stars right beside it. Have you allowed some opposition, some naysayer, some negative, pessimistic people to keep you from following God's call upon your life? It's like, well, you you know, preacher, I, I was getting after it, and then all of a sudden, man, everything started falling apart, so I just quit. Hey, can I, can I ask you, aren't, aren't y'all glad Jesus didn't that lay? It's getting tough. I think I'll just roll on up to heaven. Now, all the other two services, too, at this point, everybody got real quiet. So I assume at this point in time, if you're being honest before the Lord and you're really evaluating your life and you're saying, Lord, you, you saved me, not so I could sit around and just go to church on Sunday, you saved me to accomplish a certain purpose, and God, there was a time, maybe some of you are saying, I've not even moved out in courage yet. I'm not even doing anything. Hey, that's your call today. All right. But some of you have moved out and you face some difficulty and you just threw your hands up. And it's like, man, I, I got to quit. I got to stop. I just, I quit. Then, then listen, listen. Here, here's my encouragement to you. Um, start again. Y'all like that encouragement? It's like, well, I, well, I, I quit and then I'm, I'm hurt. And it, yo, I don't want to minimize anything that you've gone through, but I just want to say start again. That's the awesome thing about the Lord. He's not looking at you now going, you've wasted all these years. Nothing more for you. And Man, I mean, countless examples. One that just immediately springs to mind is Samson. Samson was just after it for the Lord. God was using him tremendously. Then he just failed miserably. But at the end of his life, it's like, Lord, use me one more time. And the Bible says God used Samson greater at the end of his life than he ever did before. Where where are you? Third point in three minutes. Here we go. Don't let inspection set you off course. Don't let inspection set you off course. The scribes and the Pharisees were threatened by Jesus' leadership. They were jealous over the fact that people were listening to him instead of them. They felt their power slipping. They wanted Jesus dead, but they couldn't do anything. So they began to put their eyes on Jesus like never before. Luke 20:20 20, 20 says, So they watched him, sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. Now, a couple of statements here. One is watched. This is the idea of putting Jesus under the microscope, looking for him to mess up. The other is spies. Again, it magnifies the idea that they were looking intently at Jesus. I found it interesting that with all this watching and spying that this verse was found in Luke 2020. 2020 vision placed upon the Lord Jesus. Listen, whenever you are following Christ, are y'all listening to say yes? Look at the preacher, eyeball to eyeball, here it is. Whenever you are following Jesus, you will always be put under the microscope. They're gonna eyeball you like crazy. So the husband who says, man, I know right now that I need to be the leader of the home, spiritually leading, God's placed it upon my heart, listen, as soon as you do that, your whole family's going to look at you. They'll eyeball you. As soon as you say, man, I know, here's what I need to do in our, our workplace, I need to go and I need to pray and I need to share the gospel and I need to be the use of God, this is what I know I need to be doing. As soon as you stand for Jesus, they'll put you under the microscope. As soon as we continue to move forward with our Seven, seven, seven vision to plant campuses and birth churches throughout these communities. You, you don't think people are going to eyeball us? They already are. So there's, they're they're looking. They listen. They want to find out whether or not what you are saying is actually matching with how you're living. And that's what they're looking at, Jesus. Let's see if we can mess it. Let's see if we can just catch him in something so they come to him with, a, Hey, Jesus, we got a question. Hey. Jesus, hey, can I ask you something real quick? Jesus, you think we ought to be paying taxes to Caesar? Now I don't know about you, but don't you wish Jesus would've been like, no? i would be, be preaching that, boy. <laughs> I bet y'all could be—amens on that one, couldn't you? That's right. Be like. It. But anyway, so uh, so they come. Here's the deal: if Jesus just uh, says yes, what they're thinking is Jesus is affirming the Roman government. And the Roman government, and that's an oppressive government, godless government. I mean, they're, they're ruthless in killing people all over the place. If Jesus says give them money, it's like he's a part of it. So Jesus just responds. He's like, hey, man, whose image is on that coin? Well, Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But here's where Jesus knocks it out of the park. He says, but give to God's what is God's. But, so what does this mean? Check it. The coin has Caesar's image on it. Every person listening to Jesus and every person in this building today have the image of God on them. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God's what is God's. So Jesus, even in the midst of receiving these questions and this inspection, is so focused on the mission of seeking and saving that which is lost, His progress was not heeded, and He immediately said to them, Give to God what is God's. He's reminding them that the image of God is upon them and they need to give their lives to the Lord. It's a challenge, isn't it? Now, God has called us. I'm wrapping this up, so pay attention. God has called us, all of us. Listen, look at me. God's called all of us to be involved in making disciples everywhere. All of us are supposed to express the gospel. Now, some people are like, well, i just express it with my life. That's great, but use your mouth too, all right? You, you use your mouth to share jesus alright Yell out there say, yeah, that was pretty bold, wasn't it? But anyway, so use your mouth, share the Lord Jesus, and then as you do that and you get serious about it, people are going to begin to inspect your life. They're going to try their best to figure out a way to get you off course. Don't, listen, don't give people the power to put you off of the path. How we manage our God-given responsibility while Jesus is away will determine our responsibility when Jesus returns. So we pray, break our heart for what breaks yours, O God. Give us courage to move forward with you and help us to stay faithful, not allowing questions to shake our confidence, opposition to heed our progress, or inspection to take us off of course. So I will just finish it up like this. Hey, are you being faithful to God's call? What's God called you to do? Are you being faithful to that? If not, start. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts even now. We'll give you glory.